This is the Congoer. Features. Because I'm assuming that you're not on, I can't be heard. I'll repeat the question. Is that good for you? Okay. So you're asking me, how did I get involved in both acting and music? Um, I had a leg up with the music because my father was with the Philadelphia Orchestra. So I grew up listening to music, um, really high-end classical music, all my life. And um, as an actor, I had... Actors, oftentimes when you get chosen for a role, you're not the first choice. You're maybe like the fifth or sixth choice. Um, uh, somebody was going to be doing Pierre Gint at the um, at the L.A. Phil, and they they dropped out. So I had been doing work for L.A. Theater Works, which is a radio company. And they called L.A. Theater Works, and they said, is there anybody there who could handle this? And, and, and I was recommended, and that's how I got into it. And what's really nice about the, about the music world, as opposed to the, to the uh, acting world, is that once you do one narration, mm-hmm. you know, they consider that, and you do a good job of, of it, they go, oh, well, he's good at this. As opposed to the acting world, is that um, um, you have to audition and fight for every role that you get. So, and I took it seriously. I went, oh, well, this is a, the opening of a new career. And, and so I worked really hard at it. And I ended up doing lots of narrations. And then I started creating shows. Mm-hmm. And then I created a lot of shows uh, um, for orchestral work, for uh, symphony orchestras. Okay. And um, how did you come up with the concept of Alien Voices, and what made you want to go into business with Leonard Dean Moy? Was it because you guys had like worked together previously, or did you come together some other way on the project? Well, how did I how did I come together with uh, with Leonard Nimoy to do Alien Voices uh, again? And I think that this is speaks to the notion that um, anybody who's in the art world, artistic world. Um, usually, um, usually they have you know turned away from the business world part of the of life, and they're in the, the artistic part of life. Um, that can't be done anymore. Um, you cannot survive that way anymore. And so I, I've been uh, I've been good at uh, being entrepreneurial. So I was directing. Um, was it uh, Invasion from Mars or War of the Worlds? And at and while we were working, and Leonard was playing the lead, um, I had had this idea in my head that we could do more with this. And it, this was also an LA Theater Works production, but uh, the people at LA Theater Works were not that interested, were not interested, frankly, at all in science fiction. And I was. So when, when the production was over, I said to Leonard, uh, uh, did you have a good time? And he said, oh, I had a great time. And I said, well, I have an idea for doing more of these. Um, I'd like to create a company with you. We could call it Alien Voices. You're an alien, I'm an alien. 
and um, and it'll be uh, a classic science fiction. We'll do dramatizations of classic science fiction. And he went, great, let's do it. Um, so it's one thing to have the opportunity to form with so many well-known people and symphonies and orchestras, but you've also had the opportunity to write and direct several works as well. So what inspired you in your, like, your thinking processes during those times? Um, uh, you have to be a little more specific. What inspired me? Uh, in, in what which inspired what, what you way? to continue like your thinking processes? Like, what inspired you to write and direct so many different works of your own? What inspired me to write and direct so many works of my own? Um, uh, uh, um, well, I'm going to give you a long-winded answer, one that you could actually sort of use for yourself. I was involved in a soap opera called Days of Our Lives. And I wanted to ask the person who wrote the soap opera, how, how, do, how do you write 365 days of, of, of scripts a year? How, how do you do it? How do you organize that? So he told me something which was sort of funny. He said, well, just imagine three rolls of toilet paper. I'm like, okay. He said, you... you you unravel them, and you write on them your A storyline, uh, an outline for your A story, your B story, and your C story. And then you roll them back up, and every day, well, I mean, weeks before, but somewhere along in that process, you take two sheets of A, one sheet of B, and three sheets of C, and you hand them to your staff writers and say, this is what you're writing. And so they have the outline. So I thought, oh, that's, that's really interesting. And then I thought, wow, I could use that as a business model for my career. So I act, I direct, I write, I produce. Well, those are four rolls of toilet paper. And if I took a, you know, 10-hour day, I could go two hours, I'd concentrate on, on acting, three hours on writing, you know, stuff like that. And all of a sudden, I was able to create for myself my own days, which is really unusual for an actor because actors oftentimes are waiting around to be called. So now, instead of being the, you know, the feather for every wind that blows or the victim of or, you know, or nobody's calling me type thing. I was actually generating material out. So, so, and in the process of doing that, I began going, well, I couldn't write maybe. So that's how I got into writing. And, um, and it was through Alien Voices that I said we had to write these scripts. And then after that, I, I said, well, now that I, I learned how to write scripts, I can write scripts for um, musical events. And, you know, and so I, and it just built like that. The whole notion being is that if you're going to catch fish, you've got to have another metaphor. If you're going to catch fish, you have to have a lot of lines in the water. Okay, Candace, do you have a question? Oh, yes. Um, I noticed you, you've portrayed mischievous characters a lot. Um, do you like to portray them over like characters that are more on the good side, doing the righteous thing all the time? Well, I don't really choose those characters. People come to me 
or eight or casting directors or or um, or directors or what have you, they come to me and with a character that I either choose to do or audition to do or not. Um, you know, mostly. Thank you very much. Mostly because of my voice, my forehead, <laughs> the fact that I don't look like Tom Cruise. Um, they're going to say, "Well, he's the villain." Now, I've played in the theater a lot of heroes, but most of the stuff that you see is I'm the villain. Now, one of the things that I've been able to do is that I've been able to take those mischievous characters or villainous characters and sort of turn them into heroes to the extent that I try to give them a very strong point of view so that the audience will end up going, oh, I understand where he's coming from. I don't agree with the way in which he's, he's, he's approaching this. That's all very, you know, very villainous. But I understand what he... You know, so that's how I got involved with doing more and more of those. I know you also have done uh, Shakespeare work as well. Is there any uh, play or characters from Shakespeare that you enjoyed uh, portraying in your past work? Are there any plays or any characters in Shakespeare that I enjoyed portraying? Well, sh Shakespeare... Uh, 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 it's been a long time since I've done any Shakespeare. And... Um, and I was very, very fortunate in going to a, high a little high school where I think by the time I finished high school, I had done Romeo, Hamlet, um, uh, ooh, I forget, two others, and I can't even remember. And then I did a lot of it in, in, in college and drama school and, and also at the Shakespeare Festival and what have you. But I, it's just been a long time. I mean, Shakespeare is usually terrific. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, were you into uh, sci-fi before doing Star Trek or Torchwood's Miracle Day? Uh, was I in sci-fi uh, before doing Star Trek and Torchwood's Miracle Day? Yes. Yeah. Um, I didn't know how to read. I, I was a kid who flunked out of school. Um, flunked out of the fifth or sixth grade, I can't remember which one. And um, and I was really dyslexic, and that was one of my problems. And uh, so I came to reading sort of late. I, I, I'm sure I was maybe about 13 or 14 before I read my first book from cover to cover. And that book was um, Jules Verne's Mysterious Island. And it happened to be... Uh, my parents had um, taken us to a to a lake for for a month's vacation, and they had rented this place. And there were a couple of books there, and uh, this was one of them. So I read it, and I I just loved it. And um, so I became a sci-fi fan from about the age of thirteen on. Okay. Uh, did you have uh, just one more? Um, what have you gained or learned from having so much experience, and what piece of advice would you give in your former self when you first started your career there? Rephrase that, because it's a very general. Okay. 
Um, I can cut it in half. What piece of advice would you have given your former self when you first started out? Okay, what piece of advice would I have given my former self when I started out? Probably to listen more. Somebody once told me we have two ears and one mouth. That means that... Uh, <laughs> 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 um, <clears throat> I, I, think, I think part of my uh, modest success has been from the willingness to risk and... I would encourage, uh, I'm glad I did that. I, I, I'm, I'm glad I, there were many, many times that I did things that I was absolutely frightened to death of doing, but I did them because I just thought, if I don't do this, nothing's going to happen. I mean, I, you know, saying no is, doesn't get you anywhere. You know, say yes. So, these are all great questions, by the way. Uh, I usually don't get anywhere near this from from uh, professionals. <laughs> so, uh, if you have any more, do you have any more questions you want to ask me? I know I came a little late, so I'm sorry. Sure. Um, yeah, I got a couple more. Um, okay, this came from a, a Brony fan. Um, so, what's your take on the theory that Star Swirl the Bearded is actually Discord in disguise? What is my take on the theory that Star Swirl the Bearded, the bearded is actually Discord in, 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 in My Little Pony? I have no idea what that question is about. <laughs> I have no idea. Okay, another question is um, How did you come to the idea to make the uh, Brony documentary? Oh, well, that's sort of a long-winded story. Do you want to hear it? Go for it. Okay. <laughs> we got enough tape, right? I have 40 minutes. We have Okay. <laughs> I did, uh, I got a call to, to uh, from my agent saying, um, um, we have an offer for you for... And, and I, I didn't hear it. It didn't matter to me what it was... Or what have you? I, I just actors always ask three questions: How much, when, and let me read the material. That way, you know what you're getting into. So they, he said, I need the answer on this pretty quickly. So he sent me the material right away, and within a few minutes, I could tell in terms of reading the script. I didn't have to read all of it. I could tell that it was well written. Okay, because I read a lot of material. So I called him back and I said, Sure. And I went in, and they said, uh, Mr. Glancy, it's really wonderful for you. We're really delighted for you to be here. It's just terrific to have you on. And again, I didn't hear what they said. I didn't really wasn't paying attention. It didn't make any difference. And about three months later, I was down. I went down to my computer one morning, and I and in my mailbox were two or three hundred emails, and I was not happy. Because I figured I have been, something's happened, I've been spammed, I mean, whatever. And they all said, My little pony. <laughs> so I called up to my wife and I said, What do you know about My Little Pony? She said, Well, it's a cartoon that you, um, that you voiced about three months ago. 
didn't forgot that. Didn't even know it. And it's for little girls. And I said, well, let me tell you something. These are not little girls that are writing. (laughs) (laughs) And that night, a friend of mine came over who, uh, by by the name of Mike Brockoff, and he he makes uh, reality TV shows. He makes documentaries, essentially. And he said, oh, we ought to do, you know, we sort of laughed about, like, who who in the world would be, you know, so, uh, and uh, I had looked up Brony, you know, and, uh, and it, it, it was all not very flattering, okay? <laughs> so we sort of laughed about it, and then he said, you want to make a documentary about this? And I said, no way, not, no. And I went that weekend to, um, up to Vancouver, and I was working up there, and I had a bunch of kids come up to me, guys, 20 years old, and they had, you know, some pictures and what have you, and they asked me to autograph them. And I said, are you? Yeah, yeah, we're bronies. I went, okay, why are you watching this show? <laughs> you know, what's the deal here? So we talked about it for a while, right? And uh, and I began to go, oh, well, I recognize these kids as essentially like Star Trek. Yeah, it's... You know, they're, they're, it's what well, there's a Star Trek. These guys are, you know, My Little Pony. I mean, it just is, and and then and then, you know, I found out that the show was about being kind and generous and you know, loyal and tolerant. And I thought, oh, well, that's fine. So I, I had no problem with it at all. Uh, so my friend Michael, Mike called me and said, I'm sending you a link. This was maybe about ten days after that experience. And the link was from Fox News. And I'm not a fan of Fox News. I think they've done a lot to um, make, sort of pervert the truth in this country. And um, and uh, it said, uh, bronies are a bunch of homosexuals who live at home uh, on food stamps and disability. And, and, you know, they, uh, and you know, so I just thought, uh, and, and it was a, co- a co- compilation of news things that were, you know, all sort of from different, uh, I don't know, uh, different other news networks. It was all sort of, it was all really negative. And I thought, you know, have we really gotten to the point, and this was just before the elections, and I thought, have we really gotten to the point that that because 20-year-old guys watch a show that's about uh, being kind, generous, and tolerant, and ju- and even though it was done for ten-year-old girls, but it's still about being kind, generous, and tolerant. That we're going to vil- make them, you know, demonize them and vilify them. So that's when I called Mike back up and I said, "Okay, let's do this this documentary. I think that this this these the, this group of people need some cover, and they need to be identified." Uh, before somebody else identifies them, and clearly these this new, these news organizations are, are identifying them now in such a negative way, and I know that that's not true. I just know it's not true. They hadn't gone these news organizations, you know, um, Howard Stern and what have you. They just hadn't taken the time to to look into it, and um, and I uh, so this was a great example of don't judge a book by its cover, and so I just thought we should go down this this path. And we asked for $60,000 from Kickstarter, and we got 
300 and some thousand dollars. So what we decided to do was that it was to expand out. As we began realizing, we went, well, we went to Israel to follow a guy. We went to Germany where there was a convention. We went to England where there was a convention. We went around the United States. And um, so we really wanted to make sure that, that mostly the documentary is, is not for bronies. Bronies know who they are. It's for people who think that bronies are a bunch of perverts, <laughs> so, you know, who are the Fox News people, who you know, or the you know, or the or the whoever, the Howard Stern people. Uh, it's for it's. I, I remember very distinctly, um, we had an email from somebody saying, "Will I be able to show this documentary to my parents?" I thought, "Yeah, yeah, you will be." Thank you. You're welcome. Do you have another question? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, as far as like voice acting for video game characters and cartoon characters, like what interested you into doing that? Were you just genuinely interested, or were you just regularly like approached by someone with an idea about it? Uh, was uh, how did I get into voice acting for for uh, any of them? Cartoons, any video cartoons, games. video games, what have you? Well. It's part. Um, uh, that's part of our business. It's sort of a sub category of our business. I mean, some actors make, frankly, their entire income from doing that. Mm -hmm. um, for me, it was just another feather. You know, it was just something else that I went. Oh, well, yeah, I. I don't want to do any of these things exclusively. I don't want to do anything um, um, uh, only, you know, uh, you know, only do uh, television shows, you know, one series after another. I, I don't, I don't, and I've not had a career like that. So I do a lot of, a lot of things. And I think that a lot of things sort of inform you in a general sort of way. So, um, uh, I don't even know how I got Assassin's Creed. Um, I might have auditioned. I, I don't remember. Or, uh, or uh, I, I don't know. Oh, they, 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 they come in sort of a, a, over the transom. I mean, they're, you know, they're just like, oh, so, okay, well, let me read it. And, yeah, yeah, sure, let's, let's do it. So that's, that's how I, how I got it.